Ah, yes, the lovely tones of Cy Coleman. Thank you, Cy. Feel free to tip him. Oh, there's a jar on his piano, so I would appreciate that. Uh, but meanwhile, welcome back to another episode of the Hitchcock Minute. Each week, Movies by Minute hosts examine the 1959 Alfred Hitchcock-directed thriller and classic North by Northwest one minute of screen time per episode. I'm Brett Stillo of Five Minutes of Trouble and Five Minutes of Bonsai, and with me is my co-host on both of those shows, Mr. Josh Horowitz. Hello, Brett. Good to be with you. Oh, great to be with you. And just lo- just loving that Cy Coleman. It's really, it's putting me in a good mood. Yeah, those mellow tones. Yes, yes, exactly. But, you know, we have to, we have to leave Cy for a minute, uh, for a little while. Uh, as we investigate Minute 43, where things begin to heat up a little bit at Grand Central Terminal. They do indeed. Yes. yes. Where do they start? Well, it starts with uh, Mr. Roger Thornhill, played by Mr. Cary Grant, talking to his mother. And it ends with Roger making his way perilously through the hustle and bustle of the Grand Central Terminal. Yeah, this this one, not very action-filled, but we get a little bit more sort of explaining of what's going to be happening. Yeah. And, it, you know, it has some interesting little moments here. It's, it's, it's a transition. You know, first of all, yeah, we get Cary Grant sort of getting us up to date on his next move. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'll say this. Uh, you know, we alluded to this in, in our last minute. Cary Grant makes it all look easy. <laughs> and it's it's worth noting, you know, this is a something I think every actor does is, is talking on the phone. And... Uh, for all we know, he's talking to no one. He really yeah. does a great job of just conveying that he's having a conversation with Jesse Royce Landis. Uh, I doubt if Jesse Royce Landis was on the other line. It's possible. It's just, it's very doubtful because it looks like this was actually filmed at Grand Central Terminal. Yeah. But just, you know, smooth yeah, effort. A good actor. Yeah, good yeah. actor. He sells the fact that he's having... Uh, not just a conversation, but a bit of a difficult conversation. Mm-hmm. You know, he's... You do learn uh, why it is that he's going to Chicago. Yeah. And that's to try to track down the infamous Mr. Kaplan. Yes. He learns he's going to be at a specific hotel there. Or is he? Yeah. Important to point out that we, the audience, are one step ahead of Roger. We know uh, from previous minutes that there is no George Kaplan spoiler alert. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at this point in the plot, uh, Carrie Roger is still looking for Mr. Kaplan. Uh, mm-hmm. so it's a bit of a wild goose chase. And, uh, he does mention that, uh, you know, there, there were some thoughts about taking a, a plane instead of a train. I mean, in 1959, uh, I mean, taking trains were still a thing, but they were also kind of on their way out. This was sort of the start of the jet set. Exactly. Era, wasn't it? Exactly. And it's, I, you know, we're going to get a lot of, of train stuff in upcoming minutes. Maybe it's a good time to mention that, yeah, Hitchcock throughout his career seemed to enjoy sequences on trains, you know, most notably Strangers on a Train, um, which does not occur entirely on a train, but... Uh, you know, I can think of many movies he did where there was some kind of an elaborate train sequence. It, it makes sense. I mean, I could kind of picture uh, 
well, just take it back a step. You know, Roger makes that comment about, you know, I can't jump off a plane if I need to. Yeah. And I think Hitchcock as a, as a storyteller kind of sees, well, yeah, it'll get me there faster. It'll get the character there faster, but there's, it limits the kind of drama and the kind of tension we can do. Trains have stops. You will see people board trains. They get off trains. Uh, a lot more potential. Roger makes a good comment that he'd have no place to hide on a plane if recognized. And that's, that's also something very good. He's going to have many interesting places that he's going to be hiding in the next few minutes. Exactly. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, so then he, he hangs up. It's time to go. Uh, we know from the previous minute that the 20th Century Limited is, is leaving soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a very nice, you know, tracking shot of Roger uh, in the busy Grand Central Terminal trying to look inconspicuous. There's this brief moment where, the uh, you know, as he leaves the phone booth, a fellow's trying to come in. He gives Roger a, a funny look, like, you look familiar. Are you Cary Grant? Did you uh, read the little bit about that in the screenplay? No, no, I missed that. It, it's interesting. The screenplay actually notes that this could be a detective. And so there's a tense moment here. But then he moves on. Yeah, yeah. It's... So I, I didn't quite get that. I kind of felt like, you know, that it was just kind of awkward. But but that's what's in uh, in Roger Thornhill's mind right now. Everybody's out to get him. Could this be a detective? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's subtle, but it conveys that um, Roger feels a little vulnerable here as he's moving through this very busy uh, building. You know, there's this chance somebody might spot me, and hmm. as a result, out come the sunglasses. Ah, yes, the sunglasses. The sunglasses. Yes. Uh, if we were going to do a, a top ten list of movie sunglasses, this would be up there. Now, do you think that this movie was one of the reasons that sunglasses started becoming popular again in America? Uh, that's a good question. Because I think the the big sunglass thing, I mean, there were certainly people wearing them, you know, during the 40s and such, and it was like a beach thing. And then there were the military pilots who would wear them, and that, that kind of led to the rise of the aviator glasses. Yeah. Uh, but, but these type of glasses, I, I wonder... If uh, you started seeing more of them after this movie, yeah, I, I would, I would say it, it definitely didn't hurt. Um, those are sharp-looking sunglasses. This is, I think, a, you know, technology-wise, they're getting better, better lenses, <laughs> uh, better material for frames. I believe um, this is the you know the the rise of Varnays, for example, in France. You know, huh. the sport sunglass. Uh, so yeah, I'd say it's. I'd say they are definitely on the rise. Uh, I seem to remember Varnays back in the eighties. Oh yeah, but the ones I remember were like these hot pink and black ones. <laughs> yeah, they're definitely a different era. They were very trendy in the eighties. They were the sunglasses to have. I, hmm. Just as a side, uh, I remember the rivalry uh, in high school. There were Varnay kids and there were Ray Ban kids. <laughs> yeah. It was a little like The Outsiders. It was the socks and the greasers. And uh, <laughs> I was a Ray-Ban kid. Just, uh-huh. you know. But, uh, yeah, there you go. Bausch and Lomb. You know, the Ray-Bans were uh, mm. getting very stylish and very popular. So, you know, th- this is a movie made in 1959. But it, in some ways, it it's uh, setting us up for the 60s. You know, you mentioned mm-hmm. the jet set earlier. Uh 
we see hints of what's to come in movies, in fashions, in, in travel. And I think, yeah, the sunglasses, you know, pretty soon, yeah, in movies, we're, everybody's going to be wearing sunglasses. Uh, you know, a staple in James Bond movies. Yeah, actually, uh, a note about James Bond movies here. You know, I mean, the, the mother jokes about jumping from the plane when they're having their conversation. And that sounded like a setup for a James Bond movie. Absolutely. I, I mean, I, how many Bond movies did that very thing happen? Sometimes without a parachute. Yeah, yeah. Uh, good point. Whereas, you know, Hitchcock didn't seem interested to, to get on a plane necessarily. Uh, a lot of plane sequences in Bond movies. Mm-hmm. Uh so there you go. I think, yeah, this is just a, you know, yeah. it's, a, it's a simple sequence of Roger walking mm-hmm. through the terminal. But uh, yeah. there's a, a lovely Hitchcock touch. Uh, also a tribute to his phenomenal director of photography, Robert Burks, in terms of, you know, how this gigantic building is lit and uh, how the camera follows uh, Cary Grant. I feel like... There's a there's a great modern shot here, as we you know the camera's following Roger. We don't see the cops yet, but Roger sees the cops, so he puts on the sunglasses. And then you know the camera pans over to the cops, looking around, and Roger's kind of disappeared, I think, behind a mag- magazine kiosk. And then the camera mm-hmm. keeps moving, and then Roger sort of appears in the background. Uh, it, it's almost like a magic trick. Now you see him, now you don't. <laughs> and suddenly he's there. Um, so, I, you know, to me, that's just one example of many in this movie of, uh, of the technique used uh, by Hitchcock. And, you know, this, this team of people he had, particularly in these films in the 50s. You know, like Robert mm. Burke, I think, was his cinematographer in all his 1950s movies. You know, he was the guy. They worked, you know, simpatico. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'll, I'll mention this again. I think it's the first time I've mentioned this. If you look at other movies from the 50s, 1959, uh, far more static shots, far more conservative shots. I think here Hitchcock is trying to do things differently. He's trying to adapt to his environment. He's trying to show show things from slightly different angles to make it more interesting. He's never satisfied with just, uh, you know, a wide shot of Cary Grant walking through the terminal. Mm-hmm. He adds mm-hmm. some excitement. Yeah, if you here. were to watch movies from, you know, the 10 years prior or whatever, you know, they probably had much more stationary shots for some of these things. And, and yeah, that, that, that makes these movies interesting to watch even today. Yeah. You know, these are techniques that you still see today. Maybe they might use drones instead of having it on a big crane. But, uh, but, but yeah, yeah. Good, good cinema. Good cinema. Now, it's also worth mentioning uh, that, you know, you mentioned drones. You know, you see um, very modern shots and very modern composition. But, you know, they're using big, old, heavy cranes. <laughs> Right. And big, heavy 35 millimeter cameras. So, you know, that's another thing. When you see, like, the sequence I'm mentioning, there's a probably a squad of guys helping move the crane around. It's probably on wheels. Yeah. It's an elaborate shot. Um, and probably just one camera. And, uh, you know, another thing I wonder, it just occurred to me, Grand Central Terminal being such a busy place, when did they shoot this? 
Hmm. You mean like what time of day? Or yeah. What time of yeah. Was it? Uh, you know, did they did they come huh. in at night when they could kind of close off an area, or did they just? Uh, was is is Grand Central Terminal big enough that they could just? You know, cordon off a certain section, and uh, you know, just reroute. Yeah, it looks foot like traffic. if you look around minute thirty-four of this one, you do get to see the large windows back uh, on the far end of the building, and and there is light coming in. So, I mean, it looks like it was sometime during the day, but those extras had to have been, I would think, uh, a mix of probably some of the film extras, but also just people at the terminal. Yeah, is that possible? Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I. I know a lot has been written about the making of this film. That was one thing I didn't come across, but, you know, just pure speculation. Hmm. Again, because it's, you know, this is one of the busiest train terminals in the world. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm sure it's been used many times in, in other films. There's, it's probably got its own IMDb page. Yeah. But it's just, you know, it's something you think about, you know. Again, I think that's you know, part of the magic of Hitchcock is he makes it all look easy. Yeah. Uh, it's so smooth when it's not. Hmm. But, yeah, just something to keep in mind. Let's see, there's a, another thing to mention here. We, we do see the uh, the front page headline on the New York Post, Manhunt on for UN Killer. And when I saw this, I was thinking, geez, that's a lot of ink <laughs> to put for one article. <laughs> On, on the front, but then I realized, wait a minute, this is the New York Post, and I looked even today at a bunch of different headlines that they've had, and that that is a staple of the New York Post even today. They'll do these massive, uh, massive headlines on the front to get your attention, and then then you read it. Yeah, you I, wouldn't see that in the New York Times, yeah. but New York Post, you would. I wonder if they've used Manhunt recently. <laughs> yeah, that'd be something to look up because I mean that's such an eye grab right there. Manhunt is on. It's it's also worth mentioning, you know, this is the era of, you know, multiple issues in one day. You know, communications as we know it, far different back then. I mean, hmm. TV news is in its infancy. Uh, so that might be the afternoon edition of the, the, the post. The extra, extra edition? Yeah, the extra, extra. I, I <laughs> seem to recall seeing a headline featured in this movie that has that banner above it, you know, extra edition. Uh-huh. Uh, here's an update. We still haven't caught him. You know, <laughs> UN killer still at large. And mm. uh, just as a side thing, you, uh, you can hear an old time radio guy saying, the UN killer is still at large. Uh, That's right. You know, <laughs> Very good. Yeah. You know, <laughs> Romer has him in New Jersey. Uh, one thing I'd love to point out is, uh, I've said this before, everybody is in this movie. It, it's an amazing cast, even people with little tiny parts. And, you know, we see uh, in this uh, tracking shot I keep talking about, you know, two cops in the foreground looking rather menacing. Mm-hmm. Those two guys look like, you know, they've decided to shoot him. You know, I'm not taking <laughs> any chances with this UN killer. I'm going to gun him down. Uh, mm-hmm. It turns out the, the cop on the right, both cops look pretty young. Actually, mm-hmm. um, you know, a lot of the cops in this movie look jowly and uh, probably older than they actually are um, or younger than they actually look rather. But these two guys look like rookie cops. And the, the fellow on the right is Jeremy Slate, mm. uh, 
a, a favorite actor of mine, particularly from the 1960s. He did a lot of Westerns. Uh, he was in uh, Paradise Hawaiian style with Elvis Presley. And uh, he, he was also featured in a lot of biker movies huh. uh, in the later part of the 60s. Uh, don't know why, but he just had a look. He, one of my favorite biker exploitation films from that era is called Hell's Bells. Hell's Bells. Hell's Bells. Check that one out. I think it's on Amazon Prime. He, he plays a biker who his motorcycle has been stolen. Oh. Yeah. That's, that's all you have to say. And he's out to get his bike back no matter what. Hmm. So, uh, but that's a real early non-talking role for Jeremy Slate. Uh, so just he gets his five seconds of fame right here. Got his, uh, he didn't have any lines, so he wouldn't have got a SAG card, but you know, that was, <laughs> uh, who knows? Maybe he was under contract at that time, but that's, that's his bit part. And, uh, <laughs> probably the next thing he got a line. Yes, sir. Or something like that. Um, <laughs> But yeah, then, you know, again, this is this is a pretty simple one. It's just like a transitional scene. Yep. Uh, it ends with Roger still kind of sneaking around Grand Central. That's right. But what will be in store for Roger? We will find out in future minutes. Yes. It's, it's a bit of a lackluster cliffhanger, but it's still a cliffhanger. So, uh, you know, <laughs> find out in minute 44 tomorrow. So... Uh, any, anything else? Or we, I think we're in a good place here. No, I think, yeah. think we're good. Okay. That will do it today for Minute 43. But we invite you to look for the Hitchcock Minute uh, on uh, Apple Podcasts and Google Play or at our main site, HitchcockMinute.com. Notice how I'm saying our main site. I'm inviting <laughs> myself. Well, we're, we're part of this this family of... Hitchcock stuff now. Yes, we're it's we're we are part of the movie by minute dynasty. Yes, and uh, yeah, if you've if you're a fan of this, you want to find out more backup information. There's a place where we all gather uh, on Facebook. It's called the Man on Washington's Nose, and that's our Facebook page. Uh, you can probably find pictures of those movie headlines and, and possibly about Cary Grant sunglasses and who knows what else. Uh, we've also got a Twitter page about the Hitchcock Minute. So uh, check us uh, out there. And uh, thanks for listening today. And please come back tomorrow uh, for Minute 44 of North by Northwest and the Hitchcock Minute. Will Roger make it out of Grand Central Terminal? And will he ever take off those sunglasses? Find out tomorrow. Find out soon. Wherever you are.